You're listening to Sincerely Madison E. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy Saturday. I hope you've had an awesome week and you are having a wonderful weekend thus far that continues to get better and better as it goes on. Today's topic is the runner-up from the initial poll that I put on social media asking all of you what you would like for me to talk about. So today's topic is on the Legacy Project. Now, if you haven't heard of the Legacy Project before, have no fear. I will give you all of that information during our time together today. And that way you know exactly what the Legacy Project is and how it applies to your life and how you can use the results from this particular project to create a more fulfilling life for yourself going forward, one with fewer regrets. So I wanna start with just a, a brief observation, and this is something that most all of us will agree with. Our minds tend to do the most wondering when they're left idle. So these are the moments when external stimulation is limited and much of our dialogue turns inward. Whenever we're not giving ourselves things to think about, external stimulation, whenever we're not giving our minds something to do, they tend to do their own thing. And much of that activity is contingent on who we are as people from a genetic makeup, from a, a belief system, from a uh, whatever narrative that we've created for ourselves throughout our life experiences, the opinions that have been formed through our life experiences. These are the kinds of factors that determine what our mind does when it's left idle. And so this realization led Dr. Carl Pilmer, who was a professor of human development at Cornell University, to start what would later be known as the Legacy Project. And the reason being is because when our minds are left idle, this is perhaps one of the most detrimental moments throughout our lives. And it occurs on a near regular basis. We're not always doing something with our minds. Much of the time, our activities that we tend to default to, things like checking social media, those are mindless activities. They're the times where we wanna use our brain minimally. So the Legacy Project involved 1,500 senior citizens. And for his research, Pilmer started with the premise that older people have invaluable knowledge on how to live well through hard times. The average age of the people he interviewed was 77. The oldest was 108. Approximately 1,000 of them outlasted the Great Depression. 1,200 of them endured World War II. And 60 of them survived the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Now, the that question he asked them was, based on your experience of these world-shaking crises, what advice do you have for living through them? He asked the people who had been through what most would consider some of the most devastating and horrible circumstances. He asked them, what, what advice would you give? The project spanned across nearly a decade and was consolidated into a book to reflect on his findings and to share each of those findings with others. So to Pilmer's surprise, nearly every single one of the interviewees had the same answer to the question. Guys, their responses were, I wish I hadn't spent so much of my life worrying. Pilmer shares, I met Holocaust survivors, refugees from many of the early 20th century's other major conflicts, and people who lost everything in the Depression. And by the time I sat with them 40, 50, 60, or 70 years later, 
They have built comfortable, often successful and fulfilling lives. Their message was extraordinarily clear, Pillamore continues. Crises occur, societies change, and with resilience, we recover and move on. All of these people that he interviewed, the majority of them came from very, very challenging circumstances, things that were completely outside of their control. However, what they took from that, even in hindsight, after going on to live lives of prosperity and, and what most would deem success, even despite all of that and having it all come full circle, they still said most consistently that they just wish they wouldn't have spent so much of their time worrying. Focusing on what your future can be a decade or more from now can provide an antidote to worry, the elders advise. Present actions are the future stories of how we survived. So what story do we want to tell? I think this question is pretty groundbreaking for a lot of us. Because it is true. The majority of the time, the things that we're in seem most challenging and difficult while we're in them. It's not until we look back, as I mentioned in hindsight, and see, wow, I was there and now I'm here. And now that's just a story to tell. It's a part of my story. It's now become the catalyst for my, the resilience that I exemplify today. As humans, our minds drift into worry when we aren't paying attention to any one thing. It's as if we allowed it to become a default setting for our thoughts. One minute, your 17-year-old daughter is trying on prom dresses, and the next, you're in tears over the thought of her going off to college, getting married, moving away, having children, and now the entire moment has been robbed by worry. Let's say your significant other goes for a bike ride and now all you can do is think about getting the phone call that he or she was hit by a car. Every moment until they return has been ruined by worry for things outside of your control. Let's say you approach the stage for your college graduation, cap and gown intact, and now the worry about whether or not you'll find opportunities in the workforce that meet your degree qualification sets in. All of a sudden, the feelings of pride, accomplishment, and joy are all eclipsed with worry. You ruin and take so many things away from yourself and from a moment whenever you allow them to be eclipsed, as I mentioned, with worry. Let it be exactly what it is, especially if there are things outside of your control. The most important thing in that moment is that your daughter's going to prom. Your son's going to prom. You're, you're here for these moments. They're here for those moments. The most important thing is the fact your significant other is out doing something they enjoy, being active, enjoying the outdoors. Anything else that happens is really outside of your control. You stand up and you have that cap and gown on that you have worked so hard for. You've stayed up countless days and nights. You've cried so many tears. You've sacrificed nutritional meals, everything to get to that stage, to get to that moment. You have earned that diploma. And now all you can think about is whether or not you're going to be able to use it to work for the next 40, 50, 60 years. Don't ruin a single moment by worrying about the things that are out of your control. Those are the things that are a genuine waste of your time and energy. Because like I said, they're uncontrollable. The depth of this discovery is groundbreaking in the world of neuroscience because it brings facticity to the observation that worry does the exact opposite of what positive emotions such as gratitude do for the brain.
Neuroscientist Alex Korb says that feeling grateful activates the brainstem region that produces dopamine. When met with moments of worry, best-selling author and motivational speaker Mel Robbins suggests we ask ourselves two questions. One, what am I grateful for in this moment? And two, what do I want to remember? It is impossible to experience feelings of worry and gratitude simultaneously. When asking these simple questions, you impact your brain at a biological level. In order to respond, you have to take stock of your life, relationships, and work to search for an answer in the moment. Your daughter tries on that dress. Your son tries on that suit. And now the thoughts that you intentionally allow to cross your mind are, wow, I have a beautiful daughter. I have a handsome son. I have a child who has made it to this point in their lives. I have made it to this point in my life to be here for this moment. I can't wait for what will come after today. However, I'm going to choose this moment to be most grateful for the fact that I am here, they are here, and we are sharing this moment together. The things that you tell yourself become the directions that your brain follows. So when you ask yourself, what about this moment do I want to remember? What is it that I'm grateful for in this moment? As I mentioned, it forces you to take stock of all of the things. Now, all of a sudden, your mind becomes a Rolodex of all of these things that you're grateful for. Now, it's just a matter of choosing from all of the things that you have to be grateful for. In the final lesson shared by Pillamer, he goes on to say that the importance of experiencing joy and savoring daily pleasures is necessary for every individual. When people seek happiness, they often get stuck on thoughts surrounding big ticket items like buying a house, finding a lifelong partner, having a child, landing a career, making more money, saving for retirement. When the elders talked about having a positive attitude, it stems back to thinking small, even in the midst of a crisis. A morning cup of coffee, a brightly colored bird feeding on the lawn, an unexpected letter from a friend, even a favorite song on the radio they shared. Paying special attention to these micro-level events forms a fabric of happiness that lifts them up daily. They believe the same can be true for younger people as well. The parts of your brain that cater to negative emotions will always find a way to rob you of a moment if you allow it. Shifting gears from worry to focus is imperative for you to avoid approaching the final chapter of your life with regret. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to leave you with this question. What are you grateful for today? And what will you choose to remember when worry begins to set in? Make it a great day, guys. And don't forget to always be the kind of person you want to meet.